Well, as Joe said, for those who are new here uh, this morning, my name is Daryl Temple. Uh, I and my wife both uh, co-lead this church, as well as a handful of beautiful leaders, Will and Amy being amongst them, and a couple others. And we welcome you today uh, to our service. Um, we, we started a new conversation. If you were here last Sunday, raise your hand. This is always an interesting uh, time for me. Okay, wow, geez, all right, praise the Lord. Uh, well, we started a new conversation uh, last Sunday, we wrapped up our undeserving series that lasted, you know, anywhere between six to seven weeks where we talked about the grace of God and we're heading in a new direction. And what's kind of, uh, provoking the conversation that we're having today is Matthew 18 verse 20. Um, if you're familiar with the text, this is, um, Jesus's words. It's a promise that he makes in the gospel of Matthew to be amongst or in, uh, the settings like we are in today, meaning that, well, let's read the text. It's up here, I'm sure, on the screen, Matthew 18, 20. It says, for where two or three are gathered, you may have heard me say this text many times on Sunday or any given time that we gather. Um, but Jesus says, for where two or three have gathered, as my followers are in my name, some translation says, I am there among them. Now, for me, that is, that is an amazing text, right? Uh, that means in, in a setting like this, I don't know how it works, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit mysterious, uh, mysterious, uh, but I take Jesus to be, uh, telling us the truth here, but, but in settings like this, we can count on, we can bank on Christ being in our midst. That is mind boggling to me in a very, very good way. Um, and so last Sunday we, we discussed this, uh, the details surrounding this text and, and the remarks that Jesus made here. And uh, just a quick little overview before we get into today's sermon. Um, last Sunday, we, lose, we used Luke chapter 1. If you were here, uh, Luke chapter 1 is the story of when Mary, Jesus' mother, goes to visit Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother. Now, Jesus and John the Baptist have not been born yet. They are still just growing in the womb. But upon entering uh, Elizabeth's house, when, when Mary goes and visits her friend, enters the house, there's some things that happen that I think are worth noting. And we kind of weaved these reactions that uh, these biblical characters had to Jesus. And we kind of uh, uh, talked about how we should have, as the body, similar responses to the presence of Jesus. Are you with me? All right. Two of you. All right. So one, uh, if you remember uh, last Sunday's conversation, uh, we talked about how John the Baptist, unborn John the Baptist, leaps in the womb of his mother. The text actually says John leaped with great joy. Uh, and so we have these two things going on. We have movement, right? John's moving in that womb. I don't know when my son Abram was in the womb of Bethany, man, he would always move around. Uh, and that would happen when music would play, when he heard my voice. It's just wild. But John has a reaction to Jesus being in his midst. And, and then secondly, there's joy, not just any kind of joy, but great joy. I don't know how she made that connection, but she does. So these two things happen. Then Luke goes on to tell us that, that Elizabeth uh, um, then started proclaiming in a loud voice, not a soft voice, but a loud one, proclaiming the blessedness of both Mary and uh, Jesus, the unborn uh, child growing in her womb. And, and then uh, fourth thing that's happening here is a spirit of prophecy falls on Elizabeth. She starts prophesying the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we're looking at these things and we're asking ourselves, where are some of the similarities today when we gather in the church, when we come together on Sunday mornings or any time we come together? 
together, be it that Jesus be in our midst. Now, these are not the, the entirety of how we respond to the presence of Jesus, but this is a good starting point. Um, and so last Sunday, we discussed how uh, we should bear some of the similarities and some of the responses that these um, characters um, uh, had in Luke chapter one. And just again, just for a recap, there was uh, joy, there was proclamation, there was movement, and there was the spirit of prophecy. So and in and, and, and my summary, I'm coming today to church with, with great joy in my heart. Like, I, I, like listen, I, I had a hell of a week. I, I'm not trying to swear, but I felt like all hell was against me. I had a pretty rough week, but you know what? Today's a new day. Today is what? The day that the Lord has made. Therefore, I will rejoice and be glad on it. doesn't matter what Monday, Tuesday. Now you'd be like, well, you're just like, you know, you, you've unattached yourself from your emotions. In a way, I have because God's greatness is better than my circumstances. And so I, I've come today to church, not carrying with me the baggage of the week, the downs, the ups, and the everything in between. I'm coming with a joyful heart. Uh, and you're going to hear it today in the sermon. You probably were wondering why I uh, would sing so loud sometimes. I've had the privilege for the last couple of months to double dip. I've been leading worship and, and, and yelling at you guys here at the pulpit. But I, I do this for a reason. I do it because I actually get excited about what I'm singing or who I'm singing to and what I'm proclaiming. And so this is a knee-jerk reaction uh, to the presence of God. I just get filled with joy. And I don't know, it's just not enough for me to be soft and say, I'm just filled with joy. And, and I'm so glad that, that God is in our midst. No, I get excited about this. And that, that, that is heard in my, my, my vocals. And so there's loud proclamation. There's movement. You may ask why some people would you know, take it upon themselves. And I wish there were so many, so much more of us that would do this, but that would actually move and dance and throw their limbs and kind of look foolish. Uh, but this is a natural response to the presence and the goodness of Jesus. And so there's movement. And of course, there's prophecy, which is always good to have. It's the testimony of Jesus. We need to be a prophetic community. So I love these reactions. And today I want to talk about how they fit perfectly with, with the way the scriptures instructs or teaches us how to worship uh, the Lord as well. They, they just fit so nicely. So, for example, if you go with me and you will, because it will be up here on the overhead, uh, Psalms 100 uh, verses one through five. And let's see if we can see some of these um, things these responses and reactions emerge in Psalms 100 or come out and, and be seen. It says this, shout, we're already off to a good start. <laughs> uh, shout with joy. Oh, we're not, even, we're not even in the text yet. We already have two right of the four. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. And there's an exclamation point there. So I'm at, you know, I could probably put a little bit more gusta on it if I wanted to, but it goes on to say, worship the Lord. What with gladness come before him singing with joy. There it is again, acknowledge that the Lord is God and that he has made us and that we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise, give thanks. <laughs> In case you didn't already know that the psalmist wants you to be thankful and, and express that thanks, he says it again. Give thanks to him, him being God, and praise his name. 
For the Lord is what? Good. And his unfailing love continues forever and ever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Now, I don't know about you, but that's some reason to give praise. I'm so grateful that God's goodness has followed me and it's following my son and it's going to follow his son. I'm so grateful for this generational faithfulness that God expresses. So in my estimation, the psalmist instructs us to worship the Lord with shouting. Therefore, if I get a little loud, I'm just worshiping God. He also instructs us to be joyful, to have gladness, to give thanksgiving. And just in case you missed it, yes, there is movement involved. Uh, the word enter in the Hebrew means to make an aggressive movement towards something or someone. Not just any kind of movement, an aggressive movement. So the psalmist wants us to be sure that his readers don't think that this is like entering the front door of your bedroom or your home, right? We, we enter God's courts with thanksgiving. We enter his gates with joyful praise on our lips. And there's nothing via in this text that would elude or say to us that that's kind of conditional based upon how we feel in that moment. I love that. And so my point is this, this is not some passive entry, right? And man, you can feel it in worship sometimes, you know, because it, Psalms 100 is a beautiful kind of, um, you know, it's a beautiful chapter that kind of expresses or explains, I think, worship so well, like what it is, what's going on, what we don't see. You know, I think Psalms 100 kind of brings out what we don't see, like entering the courts of God's gates with praise. Like that's the way I visualize, I guess, if you would, when I step up to start sing, I'm coming in with a certain kind of heart posture. I'm coming in with a certain kind of mindset. I, I'm not just trying to be dialed back. I'm aggressively with joy and praise of my lips entering the courts of God. So th this is not some passive entry. This is a celebratory moment in uh, the life of a believer in his expression or her expression of worship. And so I'm moving really fast, but What's the reason? That's what I want to ask. What's the reason for this uh, happy, heartfelt worship? I just call it that, right? Because this, this, this chapter is happy. It's filled with joy and gladness. What, what's, what is driving that? What is fueling that? What is producing that joyful moment of worship in, in the psalmist here? Well, I think the answer is actually in the chapter. I think it's an earnest um, inquiry into who God is and what God has done. This is the reason for this happy, heartfelt worship. Now, uh, if you read the text with me, then I think it's verse three says acknowledge or other translations say no. So either acknowledge or know what that the Lord is God that uh, I imagine he's saying that there is no other God. The Lord Yahweh is God. Acknowledge that. 
because it's going to fuel. It's going to be the reason that drives your intense uh, delivery of, of excessive praise in worship. So you got to know that the Lord is God. And then we're going to get to this because we're going to see other biblical figures that I think have some kind of I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they, they have some kind of mindset. They, 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 they kind of like are still figuring Jesus out, right? And, and so they're testing him and whatnot. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll flush this out even more in the New Testament uh, through a story that happens between a Pharisee, an unruly woman, and Jesus. So it's uh, what's fueling, excuse me, what's, what's driving this heartfelt, happy worship is acknowledging that the Lord is good, that God, that's, that's first. And then it, the psalmist goes on in verse three, it says, uh, also acknowledge that he has made us, that, that we are made in his very image. And then he goes on to say, and that we are what? His people. We are the sheep of his pasture. So it's my opinion uh, that the outcome of this happy, heartfelt worship is first knowing who the Lord is and knowing what the Lord has done. And, and, and see, that is so helpful because I can latch on to that in moments where I feel lost, when I feel distracted, when I feel hopeless, when I had a bad week, when me and my wife have misfired in our communication with one another. I, I don't have to use those experiences to kind of uh, have joy on Sunday morning in the presence of God. No, I, I can totally look beyond that to that God is who he said he is. He, he stands alone. He's in a category of his own. And, and he has done what he says he has done. In that he has made me in his image. And I just don't belong to anyone. But I belong to him. Friend, that will fuel happy, heartfelt worship. The rest of your life. So people who know their God intimately. Worship their God excessively, uh, intimately uh, in that they know who God is and know what God has done in making them his people. Now, here is where we're going to bring things to a close, but it's, don't, don't get panicked. It's going to take much longer than you probably think. <laughs> Turn with me to Luke chapter seven. Again, this is a story. Now, again, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, how this plays out in a New Testament story. Like, how, how, does, how does my knowledge of who God is fuel or, or drive or cause me to want to be happy and express heartfelt worship to God? That's what we're looking at. And, and then how does my lack of, 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 of knowing God intimately, how does that affect my worship as well? And that's what we're going after in this story. So there are so many things that we can teach when it, when it regards to the story here. But that's what we're looking at today here in verse one. Again, this is the story of the Pharisee and, a, and the woman of the streets, and Jesus is there as well. In verse 1, it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, him being Jesus. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was, he, Jesus, was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept on kissing his feet and putting the perfume on Jesus. When the Pharisee who had invited him, Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, 
if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. I love that. <laughs> so many times I want to answer people's thoughts. You know, you're just like, I know what you're thinking right now. Uh, but I probably would get it wrong. This is Jesus. Um, so he says, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead. Teacher. Sorry, I just lost my place. Daryl, Daryl, come on. Teacher, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly uh, forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I, I suppose the one from whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right. Jesus said, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water or, or wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the, cur the courtesy of olive oil and anointed my head to anoint my head. But she has not stopped anointing my feet with this rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The man asked at the table, he said among, I'm sorry, the men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? That's a lot of passages, but or a lot of uh, scriptures, but let's, let's zero in on where we're getting to the, the heart of what we're trying to suss out here. So the Pharisee, Simon, he invites Jesus over for dinner, right? Um, he neglects to do some customary practices, right? He um, that would have ordinarily been done for people who came over for dinner, right? He, and Jesus notes uh, this neglect, this kind of oversight for whatever reason. I imagine it's um, probably not an oversight. It was probably intentional. I think uh, Simon is still trying to figure out Jesus. He's not yet pinpointed him. Uh, and I think that's clear in the text when the woman has such this unordinary response to Jesus. He's like, hey, like, you know, Simon's saying in his thoughts, he's like, if this man was really a prophet, right? Like what? If this man was a prophet, it, like anyone who knows anything about Jesus knows that he is a prophet and so much more. And so it seems like uh, Simon's still just a bit confused, a bit unsure about Jesus. But this doesn't seem to be the case with this woman, does it? It seems as though she very much knows and she's very familiar with who Jesus is. And the difference between her and Simon was that Simon is skeptical, right? He's on the fence when it comes to Jesus. Again, this is probably what's inspiring this meal in the first place. All throughout the Gospels, especially the Pharisees, were always trying to either trip Jesus up or, or try to create opportunities to get to know him more. And I'm sure if Jesus just followed suit, and didn't do anything out of the ordinary as this 
uh, um, kind of expression of this woman's worship was, then everything would have been fine. And, and, and maybe Simon would have had a little bit more uh, a buy-in when it came to who Jesus is. But Jesus uh, uh, like lets the whole room down by letting uh, this uh, woman of the streets, this prostitute, uh, wash his feet with her tears and anoint him with oil and wipe his feet with her hair. The whole place comes undone. And I'm sure Simon's thoughts of Jesus, as expressed here in the text, are, 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 are some of his skepticism is starting to be legitimate to him. You know, like he's like, I, I told you this guy's not legitimate. Look, he's letting a prostitute do this to him. And then, of course, you have the men also sitting around the table saying, who is this guy who forgives the sins of people? I mean, this is Jesus. Not only does he have the power to forgive, he gave his very life so that people, God's people, could be forgiven. And, and so, you, I feel you see Psalms 100, at least verse 3, come to life in this text where you have a woman of bad reputation acting accordingly to the presence of Jesus. I don't know what my reaction would have been had I seen it. It probably would be like much like Simon's, probably some of the religious guys around the table. What is this guy doing? But yet, what her response to Jesus' presence is, is so natural Yet it's so uncomfortable, isn't it? I mean, it is just probably, you can feel the tension. You probably cut through it, you know, in that place. The psalmist says, acknowledge or know who the Lord is. Does it sound like Simon acknowledges those things? Does it sound like Simon knows who God the Son is? Not to me. But some prostitute, some unruly woman of the street, who even knows how she got to the house, who even knows how she got to that dinner, starts to do the most natural, the most loving, the most worshipful response to the presence of Jesus. My hope is that my heart, my, my life, my expression, my response, my reaction to Jesus more falls in line and, and more bears the resemblance of this woman of the streets. But often I, I, I am like the Pharisee. Not only am I scared of some of my own reactions and responses to Jesus, like, oh, I better not say that. Oh, I better not dance like that. Oh, I better not lift my voice. I better just be kind of quiet, disappear in the background. Not only uh, do sometimes those thoughts creep into my, uh, uh, my thinking, uh, and that deeply, deeply affects the way in which I respond and worship Jesus. And I, I feel that God is looking for more of an undignified response to his son. I got two or two people. A more undignified response 
that, that, that actually, that actually warrants, that actually uh, uh, signifies, that actually uh, is equal to his greatness. See, this woman, and this is what the church doesn't get. We forget because we become so familiar with our own sin. And, and, and we become so familiar with the story of God's grace and forgiveness that it no longer bears any weight on our hearts. It's like, oh, like much like this woman, we, I've been forgiven so much. And, and clearly, you know, there's, I don't think no degrees or levels of like who's sin greater, although some of this teaching that Jesus, or this story that Jesus uh, gives here in, in, in Luke chapter 7, you would think that there were differences, but I don't believe that there are. And my point is this, is that most likely, even though Simon may have thought his sins weren't many, they probably were. And he probably, as well as those other dignified people at the table, they probably should have had the same response to Jesus. And of course, they didn't. Jesus calls him out on the carpet. Hey, hey, Simon, I, I walked in here and, and, and nobody washed my feet. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. There's, there's, man, I could see so much of the church in this story. Jesus comes in to our midst, comes into a place, comes into a setting like this, and we're barely even moved. We're, we're bar we barely even, like, we're just like, man, maybe like if the music is good enough, I, I may lift my hands. I, I may sing along. Or, or maybe, maybe if Pastor Daryl, he just says the right words the right way, I, I may give an amen. You know, I, I may seem somewhat visually connected, maybe, maybe. But first and foremost, they got to hit that spot. They got to hit that magic note, that magic saying, that magic statement. And, and, and there's nothing magical going on here in this text. There, there is no reason for this woman to have the response to Jesus that she has, other than she knows that Jesus has the power to forgive her and make her clean and deliver her. And I'm wondering, like, like how many of us come in to a setting like this with that kind of mentality? Or, or do we just sit back like the Pharisees, not saying, oh man, if he knew. But we're like, man, this, 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 this music just ain't, ain't working for me today. I'm not feeling it. You know, just wish it was better. Man, that engineer, geez, if they would just mix it, I might, I might stand on my feet. You know, and I know I'm nitpicking, but man, some of our responses to the presence of Jesus are just so weird to me. I, I, I don't come into a setting like this um, uh, you know, that, and I gauge my response to how music or how the preacher's doing or, or how I feel. I, I'm responding to a message. I, I'm responding to the gospel. I'm responding to the Savior who has delivered me, who has saved me, and who has made me his own. That's what I'm, that's what I'm responding to. That's why I'm so expressive now. Because I, I, I literally, as I speak to you, uh, my own testimony is ringing in my head of how God has saved me, how he's delivered me. And I'm just getting pumped. And I just, I, I, 
Man, I pray, I long for a time when our expression looks somewhat like this woman's expression, where our response is not based upon what we feel or if it's going all right in, in, in various aspects of the church and if the people are doing the, the ministry right or not right, but our response is simply to the goodness and the faithfulness and the forgiveness of God. See, that's... that's and, and, and why do I... Why do I harp on this so much? Because here in the West, we need little, you know, what would you call them? Uh, we, we need things. We, we, need, we, we need lights. We, we, no, seriously. I mean, we didn't have the light bars up for like one Sunday and like five people came to me. I mean, come on. Right? I mean, but we need these things because, well, after all, this is America. This is what the church looks like. Really? I imagine sometimes what Jesus' response would be if he walked in the doors of this church right now. I imagine. I'm not mad. I'm just, I, I sometimes wonder, would he really care all that much about lights? Most likely not. Or, for example, some Sundays ago where the sound decided to go out on us. Ten people. Oh, man, you guys got to get it together. Really, that was one of the best Sunday mornings I have ever had for a long time in this church. I was so grateful. And so I, I'm not harping on these things to make you feel bad. I, I am, I, I just want us here at Hilltop to do church different. I have no problem with lights. I like good sound, but that is not what is going to determine my response and my reaction to the presence of God. So, in conclusion, the only thing, friend, that is going to fuel our worship is a, a knowing who God is, what God has done. That, that is the only thing. Because there might be a time when all these nice little pieces of equipment and technology that we use may be stripped away. I don't know. But, you know, of course, it was that one Sunday when the sound went out. God just did away with it. It's got to go deeper. Our worship has to be more meaningful. Our responses matter. Jesus held the Pharisees responsible. I came into this home. You didn't do anything. And I imagine that wasn't just like him acknowledging it. I'm sure there was a certain amount of like frustration is like, I came into this place and you did not show me the respect that you would have shown another Pharisee if they walked into this place. But this woman, this woman who we don't even know how she's gotten here. This woman of reputation, bad reputation walks in and just pours perfume all over Jesus. What a weird weird thing. Starts crying. I mean, she's in the presence of all these religious people, probably like you, show no emotion about anything. And they're probably just like judging, you know, things are going off in their brain. And she just doesn't care. 
I want to be like this woman who doesn't care. I, I, I want to be like this woman. I want our church's worship to look like this woman's worship. Not necessarily that we'll be crying and, and all these things, but that our hearts are so moved by the love of God. It is just hard to sit in a seat. It's hard to, to worship like this or like this or like this. I want our, our, I want our hearts to be moved by Jesus. But we just can't help it. We just can't help it. His presence warrants something uh, of a more meaningful response. And so God, do it in our church. Do it in this people. God, do it in me. We, we want to be like this woman. We, we want to be undignified, God. We want to we be gripped with just knowing how much we've been forgiven, how much we're loved. That, that even though our sins, maybe many, maybe somebody, have, many people have come into this place knowing that their sins are great. Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus that you would meet those many sins with your grace and your loving kindness. Meet them, God. Meet them. And as a result, God, let our worship become more meaningful. Let, let it become more undignified. Let it be less about the lights and the good sound and, and the different things that we need, God. Let it be more about the presence of God, the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of God, the love that he has, God. Let it be about those things. Oh, Father, I pray. I shared this last Sunday that I, I had a moment of living this out in um, a service that I was at, a youth service that I was at. I'm so grateful because the very thing that I'm challenging our church on today was something that the Lord challenged me in uh, last Saturday. I went to this youth rally and um, I, I, I was just quickly reminded of how much of a sound snob I am and how much, of a, uh, uh, how much I need things to be dialed right and things to happen in a certain way, order and whatnot. And there was nothing really orderly about this service. It was just a bunch of young people just coming undone and just loving Jesus. And then, and, and, and man, you just had to hit the first note and they filled the front and they are just dancing hair down wildly crazy. And I remember like sitting on my seat, just like, like unmoved, bit annoyed, like, oh, when is this over? I'm so old, you know, kind of deal. And, and I, I just felt God's love. Like I, I just felt his kindness say, Daryl, what are you doing? And, and uh, you know, it's kind of like, I'm tired. It's been a long day. Like, like I gave my all and now I'm here with my son and I don't want to be here. And the music sounds terrible and, and people are loud. And it's just so like, there's no order. It's just crazy. And, and I just felt God kindly say again, Daryl, what are you doing? And right then after that second, what are you doing? God just started filling my mind and my heart with what was really going on and what my heart's response really should have been and what my body language should have looked like in that moment. And I literally, and my son was there and I felt equally convicted because I'm like, what kind of example am I, am I giving my boy? And I stood up, man, and nothing really changed about the sound, nothing really changed about what was going on in the room other than my heart started to change. See, some of what I'm talking about, guys, 
It's just a heart change. I, I, I really feel like God wants to change the heart. Uh, uh, primarily or mainly when it comes to our expression of worship. That he wants it less, uh, or to be less about the sound and all these other things and more just about his love, his forgiveness for our sins. And man, once I started locking into that reality, at that moment, at that youth conference, you bet your bottom dollar, I stood up, I sang loud and proud, I moved my feet, I can't dance, but I tried. But I felt the Lord changing my heart. And ultimately what was going on is he started to change the way that I was expressing my love, my gratitude to him in that moment. I pray that for all of you. I pray that you can become undignified and you can connect with what this whole thing is really about, what when we come together in worship is all about and what our response should be. Father, we pray for that change. We pray for a dramatic a cultural shift, God, a, a shift in the culture of this church, Lord. Lord, that we would go from dull and expressionless, Lord, to expressive, uh, Lord, undignified, even loud, disruptive praise. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.